what's up? I'm Gary A. Swaby, and you're listening to the Turn-Based Podcast on thecoalition.com. I'm here with my co-host, David Jagnall. What's up, David? Hey, everybody. Episode four time. And also, Asad Quadri. What's up, Asad? Hey, everyone. Good to be here again. Cool, cool. And uh, we're going to get right into what we've been playing. So we'll, we'll start with David. What have you been playing recently? Uh, I went back and I've been playing quite a bit of Super Nintendo, which is appropriate for this episode, and everyone's going to find out why later. Um, I've also been playing uh, Darksiders. I finished that about a week ago. Uh, and on the RPG front, I restarted Two Worlds 2. Uh, I really like that game a lot. It gets a lot of crap, but I think it's it's really good. It, ha- it has its charming parts, and you just have to take it for what it is. And a lot of the dialogue and the quests are really funny, actually, if you don't take it as seriously as some people try to. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really fun. And also, I recently got and started Mass Effect. So... We will soon enough be having an episode on that series, and I'll actually be able to contribute since I'm going to play them. Yeah, I'm glad you finally got around to playing Mass Effect, man, because that game is incredible. I know I've been on your case for weeks, like, <laughs> trying, trying to get you to play it. So it's good that you finally got it. But, yep, um, yep. What do you think of it so far? It's a lot... I, I've heard the praise, and I know what everyone has said, but... Whenever a game gets that much praise, I usually it lowers my expectations because I don't want to have my expectations too high, you know. And I and I always try to just you know not get too excited. And and then once I finally started playing it, it was a lot better than I expected because I'm not even a huge fan of the sci-fi setting and all that stuff. I'm usually more of a fantasy RPG person. And I'm just surprised. Here. I'm just surprised how detailed the world is and how all the characters just come to life so well and it just everything is so rich and detailed and this is one of the few games or RPGs that whenever I talk to an NPC I actually want to click all the options and learn everything about them. Most games, you know, I either skip the dialogue or I skim over the subtitles, but this one I turn the subtitles off so I can listen to everything they say. Alright, cool, cool. Um, what about you, Asad? What have you been playing? I've been doing a lot of old school gaming, actually. Well, not old school, I'd say classic gaming. First person shooter-wise, I've been playing One Unit Whole Blood and Rise of the Triad and the original Quake, which I absolutely adore. I've adored it since 1996. I got back into it it hasn't aged one bit. It's still as fun as it was before. I'm getting into X3 Terran Conflict a lot more. A massive sci-fi setting with it. The limit is really your imagination. You're pretty much free to do whatever you want in space in that game. And uh, it offers limitless freedom, basically. It confined to the game, the game space, of course. But in the game space, it, they let you just pretty much go at it. On the RPG front, I've been playing um, Gothic 3 Forsaken Gods Enhanced Edition. Now, Forsaken Gods really was an absolute bomb. It was buggy, it was broken, it was unplayable. But community members took it 
and they patched it, they optimized it, they changed it, and they were hired by the team that made Forsaken, well, think published Forsaken God, and now they're a professional company, and they were the ones that in released the Enhanced Edition on Steam, and now it's really an RPG to be reckoned with. The power of modders, eh? Mm-hmm. Shows you how creative the commu- gaming community can be. Yeah, definitely. Anything else? Um, yeah. If we want to go into the horror genre, I've been playing a game called Darkfall, the journal. And oh goodness, it is quite a scare dealing with ghosts. Um, this idea that something is watching you when you're not sure what it is. Hearing voices with no um, idea of their origin. You're, you're alone, but you're not alone. Darkfall really captures that idea. It really captures that atmosphere of being alone, but not at the same time. Yeah. Amnesia Dark Descent as well. Um, yeah, I got back into that. Played some mods for it. Still, they almost gave me a heart attack because I was so scared. Well, I think that's it for now. I think that's all I've been playing. Okay, cool, cool. Um, as for me, I haven't really been playing too much. Um, I played. Uh, I played a lot of Beat Hazard this week. Um, which, oh yeah, yeah. Which yeah. David put me onto. Uh, that's a great game. Um, I spoke about it on the court podcast, so I won't speak on it too much. But you know, it's basically like a um, space game, space shooting game that, that allows you to import your own music and it reacts to the music. So that's pretty cool. Um, I played some Elder Scrolls Oblivion, of course. Uh, also, I bought a couple games on Steam this week. You know, I've been taking advantage of the sales. I bought Torchlight, but I haven't actually played it yet. Um, Never Winter Nights 2. I mean, let's just go into the Steam sales right now because we, you know, we were going to talk about that anyway. So, yeah. you know, Steam is having this big sale, and you know, it's 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 got all of us going crazy because mm. these bargains oh. are just insane. You know, and it's messing up my wallet for real. And I, like, whenever I buy something, I feel guilty as well. Like, damn, another game I bought. Because yeah, I already have so much to play. And it's just crazy, man. I mean, today they've got Never Winter Nights 2. I mean, I've, I've been wanting to play that game for so long. But I'm debating with myself on whether to buy it or not. I say you should. You won't yeah. be one of the most I mean, comprehensive. How does it's, how does it compare to the first one? People kind of lambasted it because um, Neverwinter Nights was more complete. Uh-huh. Because you know Obsidian kind of do this thing where they release games in a buggy state in most of their games, as you've noticed. Uh-huh. But Neverwinter Nights two, regarding the tool set of Dungeons and Dragons, they they added the three point five rule set. Which kind of adds more rules and item gameplay uh, restrictions. They, the th- reason why I think that they've lambasted it, the fans, because um, it wasn't complete. There were things that were missed, that were taken out to uh, meet with the deadline that it was released. But it's still a fantastic game. It is absolutely 
I mean, it's got good reviews. It has, it has been appraised quite a bit because of its storytelling. I mean, it's Dungeons and Dragons for, in the, what's it, Forgotten Realms, yes, it. You yeah, can't get yeah. you you can't get a more comprehensive, more robust, more in-depth story than that. The characters are a lot of fun to interact with. The world is colourful, and you probably have some of the most challenging gameplay you'll ever have in a, in any RPG. Yeah, I mean, I really I really want to play the game, but at the same time, it's like I don't know if I should buy it right now because I already have like so much to play. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll wait until the next time it goes on sale or something. But, I mean, we'll see. I might give in and buy it. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, I'm I mean... The, yeah, go, I'm, on the page, I'm on the page right now, and these sales are just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, hmm. <laughs> these are pennies you're spending. Look at Prince of Persia, 75% off. Empire and Napoleon Total War, 33% off. This comes to 13.39 for both games. So tell yeah. us, um, tell us what, what games have you bought so far and what games, like, are you thinking of buying from the sale? Oh dear. <laughs> um, I bought Beat Trip. Beat yep. And Beat Trip Runner. You got that too, David, I see. Mm-hmm. And then I got Darkfall Lost Souls. I've got um, I got Toki Tori, Rainbow Six Gold. Well, that wasn't on sale, but the Wonderful End of the World. I mean, a lot of these were indie games. I got the original Quake on sale with its expansion packs, and oh god, I didn't regret my purchase one bit. Quite a treat to be um, reunited with one of the one of the games I grew up with. And it hasn't aged one bit. It's still a lot of fun to play. It's still exciting as hell. Uh-huh. And what about you, David? Uh, the BitTrip games. Uh, BitTrip Beat, Beat BitTrip uh, Runner. I got a... It's called Ah, A Reckless Disregard for Gravity. I think Asad got that one, too. No, I got that, it's, too. Uh, That's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't know. It's, uh, it's very hard. That's for sure. I guess. It's, uh... The game is you're falling from buildings and you have to try to dodge stuff while you fall and not die, basically. And you pass through rings and try to go really close to buildings to get more points. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, got Magicka. That game is awesome. It is so funny. The writing is awesome. The gameplay is amazing. Like, there's a... To give an example, there is... When, Whenever I got past the tutorial area, I was just walking and found this little old woman at a farm. You know, she needed help. There's a little exclamation mark over her head. You go talk to her, and she's like, hey, there's rats in my basement. Can you kill them? Which, you know, is RPG cliche. Hmm. And then, uh, of course, goblins pop up from the forest, and you have to kill them. And she's like, oh, thanks for killing those goblins. I don't really need the rats killed, I guess. I can handle those myself. Here's your reward. Oh, wait, there's no inventory in this game. Never mind. <laughs> and then you talk to her again, and she's like, I don't know why this exclamation mark's been following me around all day. <laughs> and then you, uh, there's, like, another area where there's some fish that are hanging by a river. And if you go in, inspect the fish, it's, there's, like, a bass, a trout. And then there's one, and it says, hmm, this looks like a red herring. Because it's a red herring. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? I had my eye on that game as well, like a while ago. So I mean, yeah, I, I've been I following it. How much? Uh, like how much percentage was off it on the sale? Well, I got the game, all of its DLC, and everything for like six dollars. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah, and uh, let's see. I got the Doom Collection because I'll admit it, I have not played any of those. So I figured it was on sale. It was only like four bucks or five bucks for all of them. So I went ahead and got those. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, yeah, sounds about right. Mass Effect games started those yesterday. Okay, well, I clearly haven't bought as much as you guys, <laughs> but you know. I- <laughs> I bought, um, you know, I bought Torchlight. I bought the Hitman collection because I haven't played any of the Hitman games. Yeah, me so neither. I, I'm. Uh, I, I saw that, but I'm not gonna get them. Yes, yeah, so I, I figured. I figured I would because I'm. I'm interested in getting the new one that's gonna come out. So I thought, you know, I might as well buy these and catch up, you know, with the franchise. So I bought those. Um, I bought B Hazard, of course. And I mean, there's been games that I've had my eyes on. But I just, you know, I didn't give in. I didn't give in to it because I feel guilty, like when I buy like loads of games at once. I kind of feel guilty about it. So, you know, I kind of held off buying some games. But you know, the, those sales are really good. So I urge everybody to go check them out. Definitely. Oh yeah, so. I mean, the the sales are are just so crazy that if you have an interest in the game and an interest in playing it at some point, then it's worth it. Because even, like, new games, like Duke Nukem Forever, on sale for $25 right now. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. Every day, there's something for everybody. I was even thinking about getting Prince of Persia as well. Like Today, I'm thinking about getting Prince of Persia and Neverwinter Nights. People seem to disagree with me, but that new Prince of Persia, I hated. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I cannot stand it, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Okay. Well, um, yeah, definitely check them out. I mean, the, those Steam sales, they're better than the, the Summer of Xbox Live sales, like, a hundred uh-huh. times better. They're better than any sale you'll see on PSN or, you know, anywhere. Like, it's insane. So make sure you guys check them out. But, um... You know, as far as today's episode, we're going to focus on a lot of classic RPGs. So, you know, the spotlight is going to be based on a classic franchise. The upcoming, you know, is, is instead going to be retro games that you should check out. So, you know, we're going to be giving out some recommendations. But first, let's get into some news. Um, firstly, uh, I wanted to talk about Skyrim a little bit because, you know, there's been some new info. Um, firstly... I wanted to give mad props to Bethesda because they said that Skyrim is is going to be less confusing as opposed to making it more accessible to, you know, um, other gamers. So basically, instead of dumbing down the game like a lot of people do to, you know, to get a bigger audience, they're instead going to try and focus on making the game less confusing so people can really understand, you know, what their objectives are, what they're meant to be doing, instead of dumbing down the actual game itself. And i got to give them props for that because, I mean, um, 
you know, I love Bioware, but that seems to be something that they do in a lot of their sequels, like Mass Effect 2 and Dragon Age 2, you know, and a lot of other companies do this as well, where they dumb down the sequels just to, you know, make the franchise bigger and bring in new gamers and stuff, casual gamers. Um, and, you know, I'm, I really didn't want to see that happen to Elder Scrolls, so I'm happy about that. Uh, what do you guys think? I think this is good news, but, you know, it's all talk right now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know if anyone would, ag- would agree with me, but looking from Morrowind to Oblivion, it was sort of dumbed down a little bit. As far as mechanics and depth goes, there's like, they trimmed off a lot of the skills. Their, your armor is less customizable. There's, you know, like for example, in Morrowind, you have short sword, long sword, and axe. In Oblivion, you have blade. In Morrowind, you have light, medium, and heavy. In Oblivion, you have light and heavy. So that's just like one example that I could think of. And like in Morrowind, you have your left and right pauldron, your left and right glove, your left and right boot are all individually equipable. And Oblivion, you know, they combine it down. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Maybe it means they can focus on the rest of the game more. But I think with many franchises, as they progress, they try to focus more on different areas instead of expanding. And so hopefully this means that the game will still have a lot of depth and they won't sacrifice much of that. So, I mean, it's a good, it's good that he's saying it, but I, I just, I'm going to reserve judgment until I play it. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, um, as far as like the whole equipping situation in Morrowind, like, you know, where you can equip your left glove, right glove, left boot, whatever. Um, isn't it going to be like that in Skyrim too? Actually, no, I, I don't think it will be because, um, oh, okay. In the uh, in the fan interview that they had, they actually said that they're combining the upper body armor and lower body armor into one piece. Does that so, include boots as well? I don't think it includes boots. Okay. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be able to equip like your boots and gloves separately. Yeah. But like your cuirass and your greaves are just gonna be one slot now. Yeah, that that sucks. Yeah, but cool. according to the interview, they said there's gonna be more variety now. Because um, one of the things they said is that it requires less, uh, like, processing power and everything to render one piece of armor instead of two individual pieces. And so they'll be able to fit in, like, more designs that are unique and full sets of armor. So maybe it'll be pretty cool. Okay. Uh, what do you think about it, Asa? I do like the idea. That, I do like the uh, direction that Bethesda's going with this. All right. Um, simplicity isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this will help you concentrate more on the game. As I said, they're not going to make, like you said, they're not going to dumb it down. And uh, as David mentioned, when you saw the um, differences between Morrowind's um, gameplay mechanics and Oblivion's gameplay mechanics, you saw kind of a transition between a bit more uh, robust, more in-depth, more complex mechanic of Morrowind and then it slowly, subtly shifted towards a slightly more simplified and more more streamlined uh, RPG mechanic and you, we kind of saw, we, I guess if you look at it that way you, you see it coming, you would have seen it coming in the Skyrim, you would have we don't know how 
much they're going to simplify it or make it less confusing, it's probably going to be as subtle as it was during Morrowind and Oblivion's transition because even with the uh, the simplification, Oblivion is still very robust and very complex once you look at it. And uh, maybe this will help uh, people who have never got into any Elder Scrolls games from the earlier ones. And uh, maybe when they played this more accessible, well, more less confusing version of perhaps could be the biggest one yet, they'll check out the other ones and see the transition of gaming mechanics and how far it's come. Uh, yeah, I, that's I mean, true. Personally, I don't think... I mean, they will get a lot of new gamers, I think. They will attract a lot of new gamers, but, you know, um, the actual dude, um, Todd Howard, he, he actually said that, you know, Elder Scrolls, with Elder Scrolls, they have enough core audience to where they don't have to worry too much about, you know, getting new gamers into the franchise kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I think that's that's really good because, you know, they, they get to create the game that they want to make instead of, you know, having to cater to, to bring in new consumers. So, I, I think that's really good for, for the Elder Scrolls franchise that they don't have to worry too much about you know, it's growth to consumers. Yeah, I, I really love that he said that. Because it, you know, it just really lets the people that already love the series know that they're going to get the best game that Bethesda knows how to make instead of something that's compromised or something. Yeah, they're, they're definitely in a good position. And, you know, that's, that's what I love about them. Bethesda's a great company. But um, also, I wanted to ask something. Um, in this fan interview that we have posted on the Coalition... There was a bullet point about that said uh, no details on transformations yet. I wanted to ask what exactly that was about because I can't actually remember being able to transform in Oblivion. Well, you could uh, become a vampire. Oh right, okay, yeah. And yeah. in uh, Morrowind, Morrowind, you could be a werewolf. werewolf. In um, Daggerfall, you could be a vampire, werewolf, and werebore. I think there was a third one as well. So, because whenever they asked, um, I have it right here in front of me, the question was, will the character be able to change into certain creatures? And Todd Howard's response was, we've done various things like that in our previous games. It's something that we probably won't be talking about specifically. Don't read anything into that, though, because we prefer to just not discuss it at this time. We'd like to leave that an open question. I think it pretty much goes without saying there's going to be some type of transformation or creature type aspect. Yeah, I that actually um, I actually liked playing as a vampire, so that was Yeah, cool. yeah, it was cool. I think it would make sense with the whole dragonborn aspect and having dragon shouts, maybe some type of dragon hybrid transformation. Yeah, that would be cool. I think it makes a lot of sense as far as the game goes, so maybe... Dragon Age, eat your heart out. <laughs> Divinity 2 also yeah okay well moving on um, the PC digital deluxe version of Mass Effect 3 is to be exclusive to EA Origin unfortunately now this kind of sucks I mean obviously you know this is just for the PC version but it still kind of sucks because you know people who, who, are, who are long time users of Steam and you know other outlets, you know, they, they, they shouldn't, 
I'm, I'm tired of this exclusivity crap, man. Like, just the game should be distribu- distributed the same everywhere. You know, whether it's the normal edition or the limited edition, the deluxe edition, whatever. Um, I know EA is trying to push this origin thing. And um, the EA SVP of global e-commerce, David, David DiMartini, said that Origin might support other publishers in the future. So I guess, you know, they're trying to make Origin this big thing, exclusive to EA, and that's why, you know, they're trying to do these kind of things. But uh, wasn't there some controversy earlier this month with EA removing some of their games from Steam? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I heard something about that. Oh, well, I don't know, but... I mean, I, I don't like this Origin thing, you know, I have no desire to to sign up to it or anything, but what would you guys think? Well, regarding the controversy of removing from Steam, that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't the best decision that they made. They made less money on the game they released. They, this is how they're hurting the PC market. They're restricting their products to their own category. They took Crisis 2... Yeah, they took Crisis 2 off Steam. Oh, really? They're removing... Yeah, they did. Man, that's reading. stupid. Wait, so what happens to people that already bought it on Steam? I mean, I guess they still have it, and they can still, you know, get it if they need to reinstall it, but I guess they just made it so you can't buy it there. Hmm. They're really pushing Origin yeah. as much as they can. That's and ridiculous. I know, I know, it is ridiculous. And they took out Alice Madness Returns as well. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do with uh, Star Wars The Old Republic. Oh, I think boy. that's going to be exclusive to Origin as well. Oh, boy. Here we go. Maybe even Battlefield 3. I don't know. Oh, God. This is a big nice. push against Steam. They're really going up against Valve. Nice. I think they, this I think is... they want to... Re- this is just terrible because, I mean, EA makes a lot of games, you know. And yeah, <laughs> I mean they, I mean they pretty much have the power to tell people, hey, you gotta get the game here now instead of on Steam. You know they have that kind of power, but it's it's not a good thing. Like, you know, you should give the gamer the choice. I mean that's what PC gaming is all about. You know, giving gamers more choices, more options. So, you know, it, this is kind of a bad move for them. I think. Yeah a bad move for Origin buying off Origin too because everything there is pretty much a rip off you can get everything here for pennies that you can get on Steam but unfortunately EA are removing all their titles from Steam I don't know if they're removing all their titles but removing the big ones from Steam yeah the the Dead Space games are on sale right now so on Steam okay that's good yeah yeah this is not all, all lost yet. Yet. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. I don't know yeah, what I they mean, were thinking. As far as the price for this deluxe edition, it's meant to be like $79.99. And I don't think it's worth it to even get that from Origin for that price. And um, what do you actually get with this? Let me see. If it's like the Mass Effect 2 one, the Mass Effect 2 one was just like you get a like art, you get some like music or like a documentary. Mm-hmm. 
EA's generosity. You get an alternate outfit with your squad mates, hoodie, oh uh, a robotic dog. Ugh, that's terrible. Sure. I can't believe they're putting a robotic dog in that. Um, what am I going to do with a robotic dog? <laughs> you get you get soundtrack. What aren't you going to do with a robotic dog? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a dog in Dragon Age, so I guess they, they had to you know give you one in Mass Effect. Oh, and Fallout. <laughs> yeah. Except they seem more useful. Yeah, the one in Fallout is a lot more useful. Yeah, maybe Skyrim's gonna have pets now. Hey, That'd it's... be kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it's gonna have um, it's gonna have relationships. You're gonna be able to have a spouse and stuff. So you know, you have a family. Why not a dog? But yeah, as far as um, other stuff you get in in the pack, you get soundtrack, comic book, and a digital art book. I mean, I guess you get quite a lot, but Still, I wouldn't give Origin, like, 80 pounds just for that. Like, I, I would rather get it somewhere else. I mean, I, I would ra- I'd rather play my PC games on Steam, I'm going to be completely honest. So, if you're trying yeah, to force it, me to sign up to this... Yeah. If you're trying to get me to sign up to this other service, it's, it's not going to work for me. Unless they lower the price of their games. I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm looking at, it. I'm looking at Origin right now. It's pretty pricey it's no better than getting going to the sh- to the store and getting a box version i don't get why the digital versions are more expensive than the box version because they should be saving money off this they should be saving money off packaging and running the instructions manual and putting it on the cd exactly so they shouldn't have to charge full price for half the content do you, do you think that don't get do you think PC gamers are actually going to put up with this? Like, uh, do you think Origin will be a success or would it flop? Because we've seen a lot of, you know, services kind of flop on PC because PC gamers don't take no shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so would you, like, hey, do you think yeah, this Origin think, thing is long-term or what? I think PC gamers are really going to put their foot down and really tell EA that, this is not on. This is not how we should be treated. Valve are treating us better. Director Drive are treating us better. Good old games are treating us better. Gamers Gate are treating us better. Why aren't you doing the same thing? Just because you're a multi-million dollar company, they're multi-million dollar companies too, and they're more generous than you guys are. We know you're trying to push your products, but uh, you have to do it so forcibly. You, I mean, EA kind of removed their content from Steam. They want to push Origin as far as they can and uh, what they've did the way they've gone about it it kind of shows their kind of um, aggressive business strategy mm-hmm. but a very aggressive business strategy no anti-competition they don't want anyone to get in their way yeah I completely agree yeah that entire their, their way of thinking is embodied in their handling of the Madden franchise because they bought the exclusive rights to publish NFL games. So no one else has been able to make a game based on the NFL in like six years. Yeah, that's just EA for you. I mean, they have the power, so, you know, they're going to they're gonna throw their weight around. Mm-hmm. But, oh well, we'll see what happens with that. I'm moving on. Nintendo of America is not localizing Xenoblade Lost Story or Pandora's Tower. So, David, uh, you want to talk a little bit about that? Okay. There's, uh, you know, after E3, 
there was pretty much no mentioning of the Wii. So a lot of people were worried about these games getting left behind. There were RPGs released in Japan, and a lot of people wanted them to be sent over to America and, you know, Europe and everything. And, you know, good English versions. But what ended up happening was there was word that that wouldn't be happening. So there was on, I think it was last month on IGN, there was a campaign started called Operation Rainfall that they tried to persuade people to, you know, write emails and letters to Nintendo begging them to localize these games. And uh, Nintendo came out recently and was like, there are no plans to localize or N- Nintendo of America doesn't have any plans to localize any of these games. Um, so that kind of sucks. Uh, however, uh, Xenoblade it actually has a release to come out in Europe, and uh, Last Story is rumored to be coming out as well. And so it's not all hope is not lost, but there's no plans for North American releases. And uh, Xenoblade's uh, made by Monolith Soft. It's in the, like, it's in the same series as like the Xenogears games. Um, I never played any of those, but they're supposed to be good. Uh, um, like, is it possible to import games for the Wii and stuff? I actually don't know too much about that. I would assume so. I don't think there's any, you know, lock on playing Japanese games on an American Wii. There might be, but I don't know. I'm sure the pirates have found some sort of way. Yeah. To crack their consoles and play imported games. Of course, the, the pirate bay. Of course, the the biggest problem would be you know it being Japanese. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the European version. I'm sure um, you know some U.S. people can get get hold of that and enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And uh, the last story was a, it's a game that's being made by Mistwalker, who is headed by. Hironobu Sakaguchi. I probably butchered that, but he's a guy that created Final Fantasy. Yeah. And so it was. People were really excited for that one. I remember reading about that in Game Informer like a year ago, and I thought it looked awesome. It's uh, it looked really fun. And then Pandora's Tower is another one. That one is uh, according to Wikipedia, it's scheduled for 2012 in the EU, but I haven't really heard anything about that. So yeah. Okay, that's cool. I mean, if I had a Wii, you know, I would look out for those games. But unfortunately, I don't. Well, you're, you're one of the five in the world without one. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, um, do you have a Wii, David? Yeah, it's uh, it's not plugged in, but I have one. Okay, so you'll be looking out for these games, no doubt. Yeah. What about you, Asad? Oh, absolutely. These are the kind of titles that we need on the Nintendo Wii. That we need I mean, in general. Yes, exactly. We, um, yeah, the thing about the Wii is it's a great console, but good games only come out every now and then. I We got Zelda, we got Donkey Kong, Kirby, Mario, all these great stuff. But uh, don't you think that it's time for something... The Nintendo Wii to show what it can really. We saw great examples like Donkey Kong. We saw great examples like the Mario Galaxy series, the Kirby series. I want to see what they can do with other genres. 
And I'm looking at Pandora's Tower Last Story and Xenoblade Chronicles now, and my god, it's impressive. This is exactly what this is exactly what I like to see coming out from on Nintendo's console in the future. Xenoblade Chronicles does look absolutely stunning, for, and it's pretty surprising what they've done with the the, the the technology that's given to them. I mean, if you look at the screenshots, it looks absolutely mint. Really stunning. But yeah. unfortunately, we don't have any localization, and uh, the more the... I think the fans may need to keep pestering Nintendo to actually get something like this into the Western public and out there. So that this, I think these are the games. Xenoblade Chronicles, Last Story... I think these are some of the... And Pandora's Tower. I think these are some of the biggest games that shows what the Nintendo Wii is capable of. Yeah, I mean... I don't think the Wii is really for me, but I would like to get a DS because that seems like there's a lot of variety on there and there's a lot of um, RPGs I would like to try on there as well. Yeah, same with the PSP. Yeah, that too. Like, I know we've been talking about how like Western RPGs are kind of taking over. Especially for consoles and like PC gaming, but as far as the handhelds goes, there's still a you know a heavy dose of JRPG styled games that come out. Yeah, that, that's but, where you know JRPGs shine the most now on handheld consoles. Yeah, whether it be remakes or you know new entries like Dragon Eight or Dragon Quest Nine, that's a new mm-hmm. entry in a long running series that's only on the DS. Mm-hmm. All right, so definitely look out for those games, you know. JRPGs, there's, there's still some good ones coming out, so definitely keep an eye on those. Um, another JRPG, uh, Level 5, you know, they, they revealed a new RPG that they're releasing for the 3DS called Sin the Life. And, um, basically, this is interesting. Basically, what this game is, is it, it sees you as a host in a hostess club where you have to, entertain the male male guests in the club and stuff so i mean that that seems pretty interesting and it seems like the kind of game that i said would would be into so are you looking forward to that i said <laughs> <laughs> that's your type of game right cinder like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think, David? Is that something you would be into? Uh, no, but I agree with your opinion. I think that sounds like a great game for inside. <laughs> Don't yeah. make fun of me, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this would be great for that Second Life crowd, I think. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> Give them something else with nothing better to do. <laughs> Is it pronounced Cinder Life or is it Cinderella Life, like Cinderella? Cinder Life. Cinder Life, I think, yeah. That's cute. Yeah. No, it kind of obvious what was the market. Yeah, there is a market for this kind of stuff, you know. So, I mean, I haven't played any games like that before, but I know there is a market for it. Um, A guy we used to have on Coalition is into stuff like this. So, you know, I mean, that's interesting, you know, level five, they, they make some cool games, so that's yeah. good for them. That's true. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that real quick. Um, moving on, Namco Bandai 
are suing CD Projekt over the Witcher 2 publishing deal. Now, what happened was, um, basically, Namco Bandai is claiming that CD Projekt broke the publishing agreement twice. First, by removing the retail version's DRM in a post-release patch, and then and then by granting THQ rights to to do the Xbox 360 version. Now, this is actually kind of bad because I'm 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 on CD Projekt side. I mean, nobody wants DRM in their game, you know. So kind of forcing that on people, you know, it's not a good thing. Um, and you know they're just publishing the game. CD Projekt, you know, they did the work. You know, they they put their lives into this game, and it's a great game from what I've seen. So you know, I mean, the, this lawsuit is kind of stupid in my opinion. I mean, fair enough. You know, I can understand them being a bit angry about THQ getting the rights for the 360 version. But yeah, well, what do you think, SF? Oh dear. It kind of shows where Namco's priorities lie. It's more about um, their bottom line, what they're going to make, rather than their customer satisfaction. Didn't they know that PC gamers are angry about DRM? DRM is a stupid little piece of software that prevents you from buying a game you own, and Namco wanted to keep that in there because they wanted to keep their paws and their claws and whatever, all over their product. CD Projekt wanted to do what the fans wanted them to do, because CD Projekt are great that way. Namco gets angry, and DRM doesn't even do anything. I've seen that the pirates will figure out a way around it with a snap of their fingers. I mean, you're punishing the consumer with DRM more than you're punishing the pirates. Well, you'd think Namco wouldn't be would, do you think Namco would actually get that in their heads? Do you think that? Well, um, what is actually the purpose for DRM? Well, it's um, it's kind of a lock on your PC game. So, so you can of, only play them online, right? That's one way to do it. Other ways are to remove content from the game, like they did with Batman: Arkham Asylum and the first Operation Flashpoint. Sometimes they do a install limit so they give you an install limit of up to three and if you've installed it for more than three times you're not allowed to play a game why because you broke the digital rights management conditions man that's that's some bullshit right there i know yeah that's one thing i love about uh gog goodoldgames.com everything on there is drm free Mm. love that service uh, yeah. isn't, isn't this their game? Oh, yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... You know. <laughs> That's ironic. <laughs> They're being sued for a game they've created. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, man. I mean, now, I think... I, what I think is, I think Namco were just pissed that THQ got the rights for the 360 version, so they just threw in this bullshit DRM, you know, thing to, you know, build the case a bit more. Because it's, it's really kind of stupid in my opinion. I mean, I, I can understand if they're pissed that they didn't get to do the 360 version. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's CD Projekt's game at the end of the day. So, the choices should be left for them. But, at the same time, it depends on what was in the contract between Namco and CD Projekt. 
So I'm well, this case they got against uh, CD Projekt isn't good ammunition for Namco. No one wants DRM except them. That will say a lot about what Namco thinks about consumers. That will say say a lot what Namco thinks about gaming in general. Yeah. Has anyone here actually played The Witcher 2? No, not yet. No, I haven't I, yet. I will plan to. Well, when do you plan on playing it, Asad? Because I know you've played the first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it takes up a ton of disk space, so... Maybe when I've freed up a bit more disk space, I will buy it. How much does it take up? I don't know. It's a lot, though. Let me just check. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, I, I don't it's like... like 16 gigs. Oh, yeah, that, that's too much for me. <laughs> um, I, I might have to buy the disc copy of that. Don't you already have it? Uh, I've got the first game, but not the second game. Well, make sure you guys... Leave your comments on this week's news. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're gonna move on to our spotlight. You know, we're gonna start our you know classic hearing of the, of this week's podcast. Um, and this week we're focusing on a very classic franchise. The it's probably it's one of the franchises that got me into RPGs. Period. Final Fantasy. Now, I mean, I don't have to say anything about this. Everybody knows how big this franchise is. One of the biggest RPG franchises out next to Dragon Quest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, where do you guys want to start? You want to begin with the first games? or It's such a comprehensive it? franchise. I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I guess we can each just say which game is our favorite in the series. I think we did that last time, too. Yeah, we did that last week, but, you know, we can expand on it this week. Uh, so let's start with David. My favorite's 10. Um, for me, it's it was the first Final Fantasy that I really sort of just really got into and actually, you know, sat down with friends and we just, we played through it, you know, over the course of, you know, however long it took us, and... In fact, whenever we first got it, my uh, my neighbor had, had a PS2. He got one for Christmas that year, and his birthday was like a few weeks after. And he got Final Fantasy, but his parents didn't know that we needed a memory card. So we would uh, we started playing, and then as soon as someone died, it was the next person starting to see how far they could get. And <laughs> we did this for like that entire night, pretty much. The next day, we finally got a memory card and could actually save. And... So we actually started to play the real game, I guess. You know, a bunch of little kids, we died quite a bit. And, um, yeah, it was it was the first, like, turn-based RPG like that that I really just fell in love with. And, you know, I think it really says a lot about this series. You know, if someone is sort of unfamiliar with RPGs and you're trying to describe a turn-based RPG to them that they don't know, if you say it's like Final Fantasy, they automatically understand what the battle system's like. Because everyone knows, like, yeah, it's, oh, it's that Final definitive. Fantasy. Hey, you take turns fighting, that's Final Fantasy, okay. Yeah, it's that definitive, really, you know. It's... And I think the story behind the series itself is so interesting. About why they called it Final Fantasy and everything, because the company was going out of business and they are going to make one more game. And then it became a smash hit. Yeah, that that that's epic in itself. You know, the fact that this was their last shot 
you know, and, and it just blew up. Yeah, it was so. their Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I gotta agree with you because ten is the first one that I played, and you know that definitely, like, I was just sucked in from the moment I started playing that game. Like, the characters, you know, the, the the game mechanics, the visuals, you know, oh, it was God. just in the in the ending. Oh my God! Yeah, and there was some epic fights in there as well. Like there were some fights where I just could not win, but I would not stop until I won. You know, like it. It's hard to find a game that you know gets you that locked in where you you just don't want to quit until you you know you get further into the game and stuff until you complete the game basically. So I mean that that's one definitely one of those games that it's one of the first games that really made me feel like that. You know, mm-hmm. like I just I couldn't finish until I you know, I couldn't put this game down until I completed the quest you know the the whole quest so what about you Asad Final Fantasy introduced myself and millions of gamers around the world to these amazing stories this unique settings that they the settings for each of the games that were that they were set in um the characters <laughs> they they're interesting, yeah. They're relatable. They're, some of them are really, really fun to. The, which ones do you like best? Which, um, which games Final Fantasy? Like, I like Twelve. I really like that game. Yeah, um, de- definitely expand on that because I really like Twelve as well. Um, but I think a lot of people slept on that game, so you know, definitely expand on on why you like Twelve a little bit. Yeah, it was quite a controversial thing they did with the battle system, which was originally turn-based. They, they, this time they do um, menu systems in the open field. So it would play more streamlined, like a dungeon crawler. It would play like Lemon Winter Nights or um, Darkenstein. Uh, kind of gave it a bit more of a, a, a actual more tactical sense of being on the battlefield. And uh, you had limited men and I think about three to four characters maybe more and uh, you really had to choose your um, choose your strategy wisely when confronting the enemies because they were no matter how much you'd level up they were a lot stronger they were a lot faster they had a much more powerful spells and the options through the menu system that were given to you um it kind of offered a bit more of a, like I said, a tactical, kind of more flexible battle system. You could command each party members to do certain things like cover the main character, attack her enemy further away, attack an enemy. Yeah, like that, that game, like you see in um, Dragon Age where you have the tactics, that game did it first, you know, Final Fantasy XII. Like you could set up all those kind of strategies and tactics in the options menu and I liked how you um you leveled up and got new abilities and stuff on that um what was that thing called that looked like a chessboard and you could unlock new skills and stuff license board yeah the license board that that was a great way to you know manage your your skills and equipment and it was a fun way too it's kind of like a mini game kind of unlocking highlighting um grayed out objects and unlocking them see what would come up yeah, and you get lots of great stuff when you if you go cover most of the board for each of your characters. 
Mm. I still remember that boss. Oh, God, the secret boss. I only found him with the guide I bought. He had 50 stages of health. Yeah, I remember you showed Ooh. me. <laughs> you had I, have you know. the, I have that game, but I haven't tried it yet. I need to play it. You, you Let me to, know how you do with the boss with 50 stages of health. Yeah, because you, you had to, like, you had to literally fight him. There's no way, save, come back, fight him again. Until, you know, you, you exactly actually... Exactly what I did. <laughs> you come in, you fight him, do spells on him, he kicks your ass, you run back out, you save, you heal, you go back in, you fight him, he fights you, you go back out, you save, you heal, you run in, you fight him. It, it, it's a vicious cycle, right? You have to go through his entire stages of health in order to take him down. It's ridiculous. It was a lot of fun as well, because I was trying everything in the book. I was trying to concentrate on healing, concentrate on just brute force, trying to be a bit more strategic, like having one party member concentrate on ranged attacks while the other does healing. And uh, I was just trying everything just to get the game over with. <laughs> it took me, what, four weeks to beat him? Maybe more? I just don't, I don't remember. <laughs> it took such a long time to beat this boss. And he wasn't even one of the main bosses. <laughs> yeah, that that's one thing Final Fantasy has a lot of um, epic boss battles. Mm. Like it, I can say in every game, you know, there's there's some great boss battles. I mean, even um, Final Fantasy Thirteen. Now, I was really super disappointed with Final Fantasy Thirteen. Um, I, I was, I, I really hate that game. It's just a, a disaster. And, you know, I was really passionate about the series up until, you know, this game came out. You know, and, and seeing it now, it's like they've lost their touch. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have Sakaguchi anymore. Yeah, they don't have him anymore. So it's like they've lost their spot kind of thing. But the one thing that Final Fantasy XIII did have is the epic boss battles. There, there were some great boss battles in that game still. But, you know, it's just, the game itself, it lacks the essence of what what makes a Final Fantasy game. Has has anyone else here played Thirteen? I have not. I haven't either. Um, I mean, another great Final Fantasy game that we have to talk about is Seven. I think that's most people's favorite game. So, I mean, David, have you played that game? I played a good deal of it. I've never beaten it, but yeah, I, I definitely uh, have. I've played a lot of it. Okay, uh, what did you guys think about that game personally, and why do you think that is, you know, most people's favorite of the series? I think um, when it came out, it was, I don't want to say ahead of its time, but it was probably a really impactful game. You know, the, the setting was really unique, the characters were really fleshed out. It's not. It didn't have, like, the most intricate and complex combat system or anything it was just the setting and the story and the getting into the experience was was so well done and you you really got connected to the characters in that game and you know whenever certain events happened you 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 really cared about it and i think you know that was one of the first uh games to have like relatively cool looking cutscenes. So it was really cool, you know, to see a cutscene of, like, Cloud on his motorcycle or something and 
Yeah, to this day, those um, cutscenes impress me because, you know, considering the tech it was on, those cutscenes look pretty damn good. Yeah, especially compared to how the rest of the game looked. Yeah. <laughs> it was so surprising <laughs> to go from, like, a, a little tiny cloud sprite with two eyes and spiky hair to this, like, you know, badass dude on a motorcycle with a sword twice his size. Yeah, I mean, you know, after playing 10, I definitely went back to play 7 because, you know, that's the one that people talk about the most. And I, lo- I was impressed, definitely impressed. I mean, I guess it was harder to, you know, adore the game because it was dated at that point. But I'm pretty sure, you know, if I if, if I had played the game around the time it came out, you know, I would have, maybe that would have been my favorite as well because I would have had the experience of playing it, you know, when it when it was out and when it was blowing everyone away. So, yeah. Asad, what do you think about Final Fantasy VII? Personal thoughts? I agree with uh, David 100%. It was ahead of its time. It was... It did set a benchmark that some games are still struggling to meet today. It's still selling like hotcakes. It's still adored by fans around the world. And like David said, it's not the most technically sound game when you look into it is it the combat system it's still turn based but the characters they it wasn't just a battle between good characters fighting evil characters yeah it was that but there was also you, you cared about what happened to them because they also had their they was developed so far that they were individually they, you you cared about each of them you cared about each of Barrett's problems. You cared about what Tifo was feeling. You cared about what Yuffie was feeling. And Cloud, despite being cold and and very, very introvert, you would associate yourself with him. You would, um, you would become Cloud. You would immerse yourself as Cloud. You would think that you would be in this unique sci-fi... Um, sci-fi setting and um, you would be experiencing what was happening through Cloud's eyes despite you seeing him on screen you would think that is you and uh, kind of even when the transition from the in-game exploration to the in-game battle system to the in-game cutscenes you saw the graphical differences between them it didn't matter because you were Cloud you were Tifa, you were Barrett, you were all these characters. You were fighting pure evil, which was the form of Sephiroth. These all characters, they were all you. And you, you would, um, you would cry when something bad would happen to the characters. You would laugh when you see something funny. You would, um, jump with joy when you defeat an enemy. Yeah, I was gonna say that like they have some some of the most classic scores in in video games. Period. Yeah, you know, yeah. I know people that don't even really care about video games so much, but they recognize that sound. Yeah, it's it's synonymous with the franchise, man. And um, one thing I have to ask you guys as well is. What, what's your favorite character from any of the Final Fantasy games? We'll start with uh, David. Hmm. Favorite character? Uh, I think I might... This might 
I don't know if this is going to sound weird or anything, but I really, really liked, uh, dang, I don't even remember his name now. I think it was Kane, the knight from Final Fantasy IV. I think that was his name, the main character. He was like, a, at the beginning of the game, you start out as like a sort of dark dragon knight type guy, and then by the end of the game, you're a, uh, or like, not even the end, but you, you become a paladin. And so you get to see this character, you know, literally just like morph from one form to another throughout the course of the game. And I thought that was really interesting and like the decisions you get to make. And I don't know. I really, I really like that one a lot. Okay. I still have to play Final Fantasy IV. Um, I have a couple of the old ones on PSP and stuff, but yeah. What about you, Asad? I have a number of them actually. To begin with, in Final Fantasy VI, um, <laughs> Terra, I like the the fact that she started from this mentally enslaved. I mean, she was under the control of the Empire in that game, and uh, she did some terrible things. Oh wait! But before you get too much into it, I made a mistake. Kane was the friend of the main character. I'm thinking of Cecil. That's okay. who I was thinking of. Okay, sorry. Cecil is the main character? Well, yeah, one of. You know, it's, it's one of the older Final Fantasies. There's the people you could have in your party. But yeah, okay. he's one of the guys. Sorry, go on. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Tara Branford. Yeah, it's, it's funny how she started from being a slave to being the savior of the the universe that Final Fantasy VI is based in <laughs> kind of gives you an idea that you start incredibly weak and pitiful into being the savior of the world. And I think she was the main character in Final Fantasy VI. She was pr- primarily who you controlled. I still need to play that one. I've heard so many good things about it. It is great. It is great. You, you could give it a shot if you ever pick it up. Maybe in a bargain bin for wherever they sell PS1 games. Another character from Final Fantasy XII, Balthier, he's calm, he's cool, he's calculated. He's had quite a history because he was part of the the Empire. He was one of the judges. Oops, spoiler. Well, that's, was... that's not a big spoiler, really. Alright. He was... Um... He, then he switched from that to becoming a sky pirate, and this kind of made him a bit more calculated, more focused, more... It, his, ju- his time as a judge kind of helped him um, train himself to be more calculated, and you saw how he would keep his cool whatever, whatever happened, whenever confronted by an enemy, when talking to Vaughn, when talking to his fellow judges at times. When he yeah. meets up with the fellow judges, he still keeps a cool head. And that's what I really like about him. And oh, finally... Oh, sorry. David? Oh, sorry. To... This is uh, relating back to Final Fantasy VI. I was uh, reading about it, and they actually released it on the Wii Virtual Console. They released Final Fantasy VI on the Wii Virtual Console? Yeah. Uh, in the PAL region, March 18th, North America, it just released on June 30th. Oh, what a, what a surprise. You could pick it up then and try it out. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that eventually. Okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I think the one character has to be mentioned, going back to Final Fantasy VII. It's Sephiroth. Yeah. Yeah. He's the embodiment of evil. He is cruel. He is calculating. He's he's a madman. He wants to... He's a genocidal monster. You know what he made... He, the things that he found out about himself, he turned absolutely insane. He hates everything. He wants to kill everything. He's got this idea that if he kills everything, the world will be reborn because of his quote-unquote mother. Uh, and that's what made Final Fantasy VII so strong, because it was um, a struggle between good and pure evil, who was the, in this case, Sephiroth. But I think everyone yeah, he's, loves him. He's definitely one of the best villains, if not the best villain from the Final Fantasy series. Maybe in one of the best villains in the gaming, the spectrum of gaming. Yep, he's, he's definitely up there. Another one of my favorites is Aaron from Ten. Yeah, I, I love him. That guy is no homo, but you know <laughs> he's definitely no. a cool character. No, I don't even care. I love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, he would always be in my party in that game. Oh yeah, just. Out of respect, you have to have him with you. Like he was—he was the strongest character that you could use, right? He had to be. He was just a beast. Yeah. Um. I guess I'll start with mine. Um. Oren is definitely one of them. I have to say Yuna as well, because you know mm. the first—that was the first game I played, the first Final Fantasy game I played, and I just you know fell in love with Yuna. Like she's a great character. But also, I liked Riku because you know she was she was a lot of fun. She brought a lot of humor to the game as well. Moving away from Ten, though, um, I also have to say Balthier from Final Fantasy XII for the same reasons Asad said. Really, you know, and he was um, he was a pretty fun character as well. He was very charismatic. Um, also, Fran, she was a great character, um, well designed character in Final yeah, Fantasy XII. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Well designed. <laughs> she was a pretty hot character at that. And um, from Final Fantasy VII, I have to say Tifa, because um, I think everyone liked um, Ares, was it? The other, Ares, the other girl? Ares. The both names are right. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people liked her character more, but I liked Tifa, because, you know, she seemed real loyal and... She she was just a good friend to Cloud, and you know I respected that. We can tell that she's in love with. Yeah, that's that's the thing. <laughs> but um, Cloud likes Ares, so oh well. But yeah, those are definitely some of my favorite Final Fantasy characters. Um, good picks. Thanks. I definitely need to play some more. Like I need to play four. I need to play six. I need to play um Greece. eight. Three's pretty good. Yeah, I um, do. I have three. I think I might have three somewhere. I don't know, but I definitely have one and two. Oh, nice! I haven't ever touched those, so I'd like to. I have those on PSP. Mm-hmm. I pl- I play them here and there, but uh, I haven't you know actually played it through like a huge majority of it. 
but yeah, um, great series, great franchise. Um, you know, it's a shame that you know the future of Final Fantasy doesn't look too promising. Um, you know, they're bringing out um, Final Fantasy 13 to next year. You know, sequel to 13. Why they would make a sequel, I do not know, but they are, and I'm not really looking forward to it. I don't even know if I'm going to buy it. I was kind of excited for Final Fantasy Versus, but I really don't know what's happening with that because, you know, we haven't heard anything about that game, anything about a release date or anything. Um, I'm pretty sure that's going to go multi-platform as well. But Probably. We'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, hopefully we get to see it at some point. But, yeah, those are my final thoughts on Final Fantasy um, did you guys have anything more to say? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. I mean, do you guys plan on buying 13 at all? Like, just out of curiosity? like Maybe one day. I don't know. If I... If the day comes where I am actually out of games to play that I own, which I don't think that's ever going to happen, but if it happens, or if I... I'm on some type of Final Fantasy vibe. I I might get it if it's cheap or something, but I don't know. I don't really have any plans to. What about you, Asad? I would like to give it a try. Because mm. I honestly, I haven't played Final Fantasy in a long, long time. I haven't touched 7. It's sitting on my shelf right now. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, um, I haven't touched 12. It's in another room somewhere. I would, yeah, I would pick it up and see what they've done. See how this new generation of Final Fantasy games has turned out compared to yeah. the ones that we played previously. Yeah, I mean, there there are some positive things to say about the game. I mean, for one, the visuals are amazing, like absolutely stunning and breathtaking. Um, also, I I actually really like the combat system. I mean, it is um, it's kind of simplified compared to previous ones but I like how it works in because because later on it gets a lot more complex a lot more difficult but you know early on you know for the first I would say 14 hours the game is fairly easy but you know once you get on the it the, the boss battles get more complex and therefore the the combat system you know becomes a little more difficult to use um so, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say the game is just completely bad or it's one of the worst games ever made or something. But, I mean, when you, when you compare it to the previous games in, in the franchise, you know, it's just, it's a disgrace. So, but yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. So we're, we're going to move on to our retro recommendations now. Um, I'm going to pass, pass it on to David and Assad here. Because, um, you know, I, I didn't actually get into RPG gaming, unfortunately, until, you know, very later on. Um, you know, Pokemon and Final Fantasy X were, like, the first RPGs I really got into. So, you know, as far as retro RPGs, I, I really haven't played a lot of them. So, I'm going to pass over to David and Asad to recommend these games. And, you know, I'll jump in here and there just to question you guys a little bit about the games. So, go ahead. Alright, so we have five plans that we're going to recommend. Uh, first would be Chrono Trigger. It's uh, originally released on Super Nintendo. It's seen quite a few re-releases. It 
Yeah, on the um, the DS, uh, it was put out on the PS1 with Final Fantasy IV. It was put out on, I think it's coming to PSN. Um, yeah, it's uh, probably one of the most highly regarded RPGs of all time, I would say. It has left its mark and it has left a, a great legacy, this, this game. It really it, has. Mm-hmm. Chrono Trigger, it's a standard console role-playing game. It, you control the protagonists and your companions, as you would in any RPG, two-dimensional fictional world. You And uh, in, if you played Final Fantasy, and if you played uh, games, the older Final Fantasy games, you'd see a lot of similarities. You get your random encounters. The battle system's the same. Uh, I don't think I would say it's the same. Well, okay, similar. Uh, okay, not exactly spot well, on. What's um, different about it? Well, in Chrono Trigger, first of all, you can see your enemies on the map. It's not, uh, you, you can approach them. And okay. then once um, once that happens, the battles happen. And then there's like an area where the battle takes place. And you can freely move around the battle area. And then choose your attacks and stuff. Like, uh, it's still turn based because there's like a little bar that'll fill up to let you know whenever your uh, turn is back and you can attack. Yeah. But uh, like it's active though. So let's say you were you know repositioning yourself and your bar is full, so it's uh, you have the ability to attack. But if the enemy's bar fills up while you're you know like moving around or looking at the menu or something, then they could still attack. And so it's kind of like a hybrid of like real time and turn based. That's yeah, interesting. It has another innovation as well, time travel. Oh yeah. And it does it well. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first games to use it. And you see go- the the great thing about it is uh the whole like new game plus feature. Like after you beat it, since it's a time traveling game, you can start again from the beginning with all of the equipment you finish the game with. And you can, you know, make different decisions and have different endings and play through it different ways. There's like 20 different endings to the game or something. Yeah, I remember you saying that before. That's pretty interesting for a game, you know, that was back in the day. The setting is quite uh, interesting as well. It's kind of a setting similar to Earth, set in 1000 AD. And uh, it kind of... Um, gives you the idea that it's a, it, okay, the world is similar to Earth and you go, it goes through these eras you got the prehistoric age in there the middle ages and the post-apocalyptic ages Yeah, it kind of mirrors what the Earth that we're living in today mm-hmm. and uh, with the exception of they've added fantasy elements and uh, you're talking of, frogs yeah, <laughs> okay. It kind of makes the game more relatable. How many um, how many games are there in Chrono Trigger? There's two games in the series. There's a PS1 sequel called Chrono Cross. I don't think... Uh, it doesn't have any of the same characters. It's just like uh, another game in the sort of series. I've never played it. I have it, but I haven't gotten around to playing it. Are you sure it doesn't have any of the same characters? I'm like 90% sure. Okay. It's just because I... 
It's just because I saw a character that looks similar to one of the ones that was in the older games. But if you no, say so. Akira Toriyama, the guy who did worked on Dragon Ball, he designed the characters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Now that you say that, they, I, I can actually see that. Because, um, you know, I'm looking at the characters now in Google. And, you can you know, really the, tell on um, the PS1 version because they added some anime cutscenes in that, too. I definitely have to go back and check out these games. Oh, yeah. Alright, so I guess the next game that we could talk Secret about... Secret of Mana. Yep, Secret of Mana. Have you played that one, Asad? Uh, yes, I have. Top-down perspective. Pretty much what it was like in the 16-bit era. When 16-bit games, you would play with a top-down perspective. Navigating through terrain. It was a lot more colorful. It was very colorful and very nice to look at. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, of Link to the Past in the, yeah. the gameplay. And then the art style kind of looks like Chrono Trigger, actually. I think, like the characters and stuff. You can see similarities between the two, and you can see um, kind of crossover styles between Link to the Past and Chrono Trigger. Well, even this game came first. Well, you can see, well, if you put them side by side, all three of them together, you can see a lot of them have a lot in common when it comes to their design. Yeah, I'm looking at this game now, and it looks pretty similar to Chrono Trigger. But how does the battle system work? Real-time combat. Yeah, it uh, has, like, a, a little bar. Like, whenever you attack, your bar goes down, and uh, you have to wait for it to kind of fill back up. It's like your strength bar, or, like, stamina, I guess. And you don't have to wait for it to go back down, but if you just repeatedly swing your sword, you're not going to do very much damage. So there's a little bit of strategy involved. Well, that's cool. And speaking of swords and weapons, you get um, your party is allowed about eight different weapons. You got your sword, your spear, axe, bow, boomerang, glove, whip, javelin, and all the weapons can be upgraded except the sword. Kind of um, gives you this idea that you need to uh, to prioritize and uh, carefully select which weapons you want to upgrade and what kind of attributes and skills you want to. Add to your character, add to your weapons. And yeah, and another little uh, interesting fact about the Secret of Mana is its multiplayer. Then you? Which is interesting for a game like that. <laughs> like, how does the multiplayer work? Well, obviously just... it's local, right? But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, you know, your friends can pick up a controller and control one of the other party members. Mm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, because it's all real-time, so, you know, you could just, while you're playing the game, someone else could control somebody. And they have it on the uh, Wii Virtual Console. It's released on there. Okay. Well, definitely, that's one uh, I'm going to have to check out. Like, one of these days, I'm going to, you know, have, like, a retro day where I go back and play some old retro games and stuff. You know, I've been telling myself to do that for a while, so I'll add that to the list. That's a good idea. Oh, yeah, and we didn't say this. Uh, it's developed by Square. This is the pre-Square soft, just Square. Same with Chrono Trigger. Okay. Either way, expect something special from Square when you play this. Mm-hmm. All right, All right. what's next? Uh, the Breath of Fire series. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Capcom. 
it's a uh, battle system's pretty traditional, you know, turn-based as far as the first couple go. I've, I've actually only played the first one. I have it on Super Nintendo, the original cartridge, and it's awesome. It's such a good story, and one interesting thing about the game is that uh, you have you played have you played many of them, Assad? Breath of Fire two and three, and the first one. Okay, uh, I th- correct me if I'm wrong, but the series features like characters that look the same, but they're not the same people, right? They've sort of done that, yeah. It's kind of like kind of like Zelda, where there's like descendants, or like they have the same names, but they're not the same exact character. Is that how it's supposed to be? I remember reading that somewhere. I don't think so. Breath of Fire oh, okay. has its own set of characters. Okay. And uh, yeah, they do look the same, but they are they are descendants of the original characters. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of this. They're still their indi- their individual selves, but they're not directly who they who they were before in the previous games. For yeah. example, Breath of Fire, the first game, they had characters. Um, like Ryu's the main guy, or Ryu the blue-haired guy. Yep. And then and uh, Nina, and, right? Yeah. And in Breath of Fire 2, it's Ryu again, who is his ancestor. Mm-hmm. It's 500 years after the first game. And that's how they've um, um, kind of uh, introduced the character. So you're right in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, they're they're really good from what I've heard. Uh, the first one I have, like I said, I played it, and it's a it's a really good game. The story is really interesting. It's has some really cool features, uh, you know, gameplay mechanics, and I think it's really good. It's one of the classic, you know, traditional RPGs. Yeah, but then Dragon Quarter came along for PS2, and it was pretty much. It was. It still kept the kind of fun tradition, gaming that it, that the Breath of Fire had. But I don't know if it made the fan base happy. To be honest, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty big deviation, right? It was like 3D and everything. Yeah. And uh, it was set in a more modern time. And it was unspecified. It was an unspecified time from the previous games, but you could tell that the ch- the setting was different, and the gameplay. I'm not sure about the combat system, but this didn't make some of the most of the fans happy. Because I'm reading from Game Informer when they said, if anything, Dragon Quarter will likely tear the Breath of Fire fan base apart. It's unlike anything you've experienced before. And they mean that in a bad way, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, with any long-running series, especially RPGs, there's always going to be the, you know, the games that people are torn about. Like <laughs> we were just saying with Final Fantasy, you know, a lot of people didn't like 13. There were a lot of people that didn't like 12, even. Hmm. How many um, how many Breath of Fire games are there? Six. 
There's five numbered ones, then the Dragon Quarter one that he's just talking about. And there's five, sorry. Four numbered ones, and then Dragon Quarter. Okay. And what, like, systems are they on? Uh, first two are on Super Nintendo, three and four are on PS1, and Dragon Quarter is on PS2. Okay. So it's a, it's a pretty expansive series. You know, it's been around a while. And, uh... Next game that I wanted to talk about is one of my personal personal favorites, uh, Legend of Dragoon. It was a PS1 game. Have you ever played it, Asad or Gary? Yeah, I have. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. Yeah, it's probably one of my top five like RPG games I've ever played. I love that game so much. It's, uh... Hmm? Oh, the graphics-wise, it was a huge step over anything that else has come out of. You, it came recently after Final Fantasy VIII. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it introduced um, actual voice actors in, during the game. Yeah, there was, was a couple. Like, there, there were some sounds. A lot of it wasn't fully voice acted, but there were some. There, there was some dialogue. From what I remember. So what did you love about this game, David? Uh, the main thing is the combat. I thought it was so awesome. Because instead of being normal turn-based where you just click attack and wait, you know, click attack and wait, it um, everything was, it had you actually doing stuff. Like, it was, it was a turn-based system, but if whenever you're doing a normal attack, there's uh, boxes that you have to line up. So, like, there's a little box in the middle, and then a bigger box that spins, and whenever they line up together, you have to hit X. And based on what level you are, or, like, how complex your attack is, there could be, you know, four or five series where you have to time your button presses correctly to complete the entire combo. And then there's, like, a lot of intricacies to it, like... Every hit you get inside your combo builds up your meter that lets you turn into a Dragoon. And when you're a Dragoon, you know, you have your big wings and armor, you do more damage, your defense is higher, and you have, like, really powerful magic attacks that also have button presses for timing, and even the regular spells that you use, you have to, like, mash the X button over and over and over to build it up. And so everything was just really engaging. Even if you're just grinding and leveling, it was still just fun to go out and fight stuff. Let's not forget when you turn into dragoons. That was the highlight of the game. Oh yeah, those cutscenes. Unstoppable when you turn into dragoons. Oh yeah, and whenever you get, and whenever your whole party has the meter built up, you can all transform, and then it's just murder. <laughs> so good, and then the characters were amazing. I just, I really, really love that game, because what would happen is the dragoon spirits would have people that it would that it chooses to have the power of the dragoon. And each dragoon is, like, tied to a certain dragon. And there's, you know, different dragons you have to battle. There's uh, The dragoons all have their own different powers. Like, the main guy, Dart, has, like, the uh, red-eye dragon. And so he has, like, a lot of fire-based attacks. There's um, one of my other favorite characters, uh, I think her name was Ivy. Or no, wait, was it Ivy? I can't remember if that was her name. She was a, she was a kind of a darker character that uh, 
Do you remember who I'm talking about? Ivy, Ivy. I think Ivy was her name. I could be wrong. It was, um... Like, she had uh, some attacks where she would leech life from other people. And, um... You know, you had your other characters that were, like, fire... There's fire-based, water-based, grass-based. There's, uh, you know, healing-based, like, dark magic, all, like, physical force. There's, there's like, ten or so different playable characters you could have in your party. And it wasn't like they were all just nameless, faceless people. They were all... Had their own backstories and entire parts of the game were built around getting to know them. And... It really helped make the game more developed. It really helped you associate yourself with guys like Lapis and Shana. And uh, you really cared about those characters. Like I said about Final Fantasy VII, you would care about what happened to them. You would assimilate yourself as um, Lasvit or Shana or Albert. And uh, you would see yourself as battling and turning into Dragoons and using multiple items and using the Stardust, which was really interesting. Yeah, and it was awesome because everyone... Oh, no, her name was Rose, not Ivy. I'm sorry. Yeah, her name was Rose. And uh, what really made the game so good is, like, the characters were... Like, you would come across new Dragoons and new characters, like, three-quarters of the way through the game. Like, you think you met everyone... And then all of a sudden you come across this new, amazing, powerful party member. And you have to, like, decide if you want to have them in your party or keep with the same people you've had. And everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses. So, you know, the people that I usually play with deferred from the people my friend would play with. And, I don't know, it was just really awesome. And I really liked that they had, like, a color that identified each character. Like, the, the element that was the core of who that person was. How many games are there in this series? Just the one. Has ever been touched or spoken of again? But the fans are pushing the company to make sequels using online petitions and such. Or at least, uh, like a remake or something. Even on the PlayStation Network and in English. I think it's released in Japan, but they don't have it on PSN anywhere else. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the pictures and it definitely looks like a, a great game, so I would this, like to try. The story is so good. It's just... Uh, I love it. You really, really get connected to Dart and Shauna and everybody. Cool. And that's enough for that rant. Uh, finally, we're going to wrap it up, talk about Fantasy Star. That's uh, another one of the big popular franchises. It's kind of ch- it's changed recently, but it's uh, back in the day it started on the Genesis. I think there was mm-hmm. like three or four of them on the Genesis. They were all like uh, very, very traditional turn-based games. Yeah. And I remember the battle system, it was interesting because it would actually, uh, you didn't see your party members whenever you are fighting. I don't know if that was true for all of them, but the ones I played, that's how they were. It was like first-person type turn-based fighting. Yeah, that's right. You, could, you wouldn't see your uh, party members 
facing the enemy. It would be you facing the enemy. Yeah, and the like the attack animations for like a slash across them or something, or yeah. like a stuff like that. There are other games like that, like a Lufia was like that on Super Nintendo, which is another good one that I recommend. But yeah, Fantasy Star. It was good because it like started out the first couple games were kind of more fantasy oriented, like fantasy with an F. Like, uh, you know, traditional fantasy. And then it became sort of a mix of sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. And it got really, really interesting. Yeah. Was that happening during um, the third to the online games? Yeah, because um, I, um, I actually played um, Fantasy Star online. I had that game for Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember I, those. I used to love that game. That was a great game. I liked it a lot. Yeah, they they changed the series quite a bit. That's what they focus on now, is that sort of genre. It's like an action RPG that's like you can play it single player or you can like get online, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I played the one on GameCube, which I think was a port of the Dreamcast one. It was good. Yeah, I actually have um I have the Genesis ones because I have the Sega Genesis collection. Uh, I need to really give them a go one day because um I know they're I know they're regarded as classic RPGs. So yeah, very much to. so. Yeah, the first Fantasy Star is it, the Fantasy Star series is very illustrious. The first one is considered to be. One of the pioneers. This is the one that started console role-playing games. This is the one that started introducing um, really complex and robust gaming mechanics, where you use tactics and where you would use a certain right of magic and attack spells. This is one of the first games that actually introduced people to that, along with King's Bounty and Heroes of Might and Magic and RPGs, hybrids like that. And it big carried on that tradition through to to even the to even the online ones. So are the, I think are the first ones like really um sci fi orientated, like the the latest ones? Not yeah. anywhere near as much, I don't think. Well, I'm looking at the cover of Fantasy Star two. There's a man holding a, a laser rifle. Really? I guess yeah. I only played the first one. Because I remember the first one like Almost like a medieval setting. You like went into dungeons and stuff. Yeah, I know this series kind of transformed over time. The, the setting was great. Yeah, it, like, was, it was interesting. Kind of had a He-Man vibe sort of it, vibe to it. Um, kind of uh, mixing fantasy, traditional fantasy elements with sci-fi, and it would introduce you to a world where. You really are making a difference in this sci-fi slash fantasy setting, and um, like I said, it was the pioneers of cons- computer role-playing. And I'm glad they've stuck to that tradition for so long. And unfortunately, for online Fantasy Star Online and Fantasy Star Online Two, don't know where the series is going to go next, which is a shame because it's a really illustrious series. And um, it should still be looked at. Is, is there a Fantasy Star on the PSP? I know there's one on the DS. Yes, yeah, there's two, actually, on the PSP. Well, what are those ones like? 
I have not tried them. I want okay. to. I played a bit of the DS one. Is the DS one good? Yeah, it's surprisingly good. For uh, the graphics, look much better than I expected for a DS game. It plays just like uh, the one of the Dreamcast. Really, there's a you know if if you like that one, you'll like the DS one. Cool. Yeah, that's one of the games I would get a DS for, definitely. Yeah, it's good. Okay, did you guys have anything else to say about the game? Uh, everyone should play them. <laughs> all, of these, all of these series we've talked about deserve playing. Oh, uh, this is going back to Secret of Mana, but there was actually a sequel released on the Super Nintendo for it called Secret of Evermore. Yeah. I haven't played that. I have it. I actually found it in a like a Goodwill type place, or it might have been a garage sale. I don't remember, but I picked it up for like two dollars, and I haven't had a chance to play it yet. But I know it's supposed to be a direct sequel. And there's other games in the series, like isn't there a, like a Legend of Mana? Mm-hmm. Or um, I know there's Children of Mana on the DS. Yeah. Secret of Evermore was crazy. Secret, of, yeah, it was fun. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, okay. I look forward to trying it. Alright, all these games you mentioned, I'm definitely going to add it to my retro list, and I'm going to have a day where I just play these games, you know, like, give them, like, two hours each or something. You got a lot to get through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I just want to, you know, experience these games, because I know they're, they're kind of pioneers in the genre, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, well, look out for more retro episodes of the Time Base coming up. You know, um, we'll, we'll try and do it, like, probably every three, four episodes, I guess. Um, so, yeah, look out for future retro episodes. But next week, we'll return to, you know, the regular format. So, um, once again, thank you guys for listening. Um, give us all your feedback in the comments. And, um, yeah, that's all I've got to say. You guys got any shout-outs or plugs? before we go no not really just let us know what you think tell your friends about this podcast and get the word out there alright that. yeah I hope you enjoyed the podcast I hope we've been more informative I hope we've been fun to listen to and uh, I hope you give well maybe in your, whatever you have some time you'll give what we've mentioned a try oh and also Asad you gotta let us know what you think of Cinderella Life I yeah, love definitely. it. <laughs> and if you have ever played Second Life, please email me. <laughs> I would like to hear from you. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, All let's right. not go there, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're out of here. Peace. Peace.